Have you listened to any of the la- recent podcasts? I have. And what do you think? I thought our last week was probably the worst podcast we've ever done. <laughs> We're losing! Teamwork, guys. More teamwork. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast, here's Arden Caleb. On this episode of Between the Stammers, Canucks sweep their homestand. We reveal our secret player crushes, not really that secret, where the team can still improve, and we talk a couple of stories of an era that uh, seemed to be a little overlooked in Canucks history, according to our opinion. Uh, I think we should start first with uh, the Canucks win over the Detroit Red Wings, which was a Tuesday night game. Nice to get a Tuesday night game, eh? Oh, dude, it's about time. Art, before we even start there, okay. I'd just like to point out that the NFL pool in this office is <laughs> neck and neck. 20-person pool. Art Aronson, Caleb Kirby, both in it. You're well, defending champion versus two-time champion. Yeah, versus two-time champion. There's a pool of 20 people in it. Art and I are neck and neck. We've been neck and neck for weeks. That's true. Art has had the advantage early on in the pool, being up by one, two points. Last week we were tied. This week, I pull up by one. This is what you want to start with. You the want to start question, with this. Art Aronson, is are you nervous? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's still really early in the whole scheme of things. But, of course, I don't like being this close. And also because I talk about football a lot with you, it makes me a little nervous that maybe I'm talking a little bit too much. Yeah, fair you. enough. You're going to try and throw me off the trail, hey? Yeah. It's maybe basically that's... a two-dog race now. Is it not? I say we're, what, up four? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough to catch us. Like, how many weeks are we going to be? We'd have to go in the tank quite a few weeks in a row for us yeah. to, to go down. Yeah. Okay. Back to Canucks. <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday, which is really nice, October 16th. Yeah, and like we said earlier, we're going to try and usually get these out on Wednesdays um, for the whole year. Last week, Art was a little bit sick. As you can hear him now, chewing his food. He obviously sounds quite better. He's yep. eating again. Everything is well in Artland. So, what did you think of last night's game? Well, it was everything we needed. <coughs> uh, the Canucks had to win that game. And I said that before. These are the type of games you have to win if you're going to make the playoffs. You're yeah. taking on a team from the Eastern Conference that really is not that strong. They're on the road. Having to play in our time zone, uh, you got to win these games. And the Canucks have been sitting at home here, pretty cushy schedule to start so far, uh, in terms of travel and everything. So let's yeah. let's 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 take care of business. You know, there was some surprises going into that game, though, right? Thatcher Demko, we did not think he was going to be the starting goaltender. Yeah, he was. Um, they made some lineup changes. Adam Gaudet out of the lineup. Tyler Mott in. We weren't sure exactly what was going to happen after that. So, uh, But the Canucks able to get the win, blowout win, 5-1. That was in no doubt, even though it didn't start off very hot. Dude, what are you doing? You're just crumpling paper? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. It's driving me nuts. You can hear it? Yeah. Okay, so what did you think after Mantha jarred the early one there? Did you think we were in for a rocky ride? or I believe it was Dylan Larkin. But, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, it was Dylan Larkin. Yeah, was, my apologies. Did I think we were in for a rough ride? I was a little bit worried just because 
Thatcher Demko hasn't really played a lot, right? And I thought maybe it would get into his head a little bit, but really the Canucks kind of just took over after that. And yeah. I didn't even think like Demko had to do a whole lot of work in this game. No, I didn't really think Demko needed to do too much, but I thought he rose to the occasion. I just felt like that was an early kind of jump thing that, you know, a lot of times uh, early on in a game, a team can jump on you, jar an early one, and that's all she wrote. So it was nice to see the Canucks battle back. I, I thought especially towards the end of the first period, like they were just completely dominant. They rolled that at that energy and that momentum into the second and just had a whopper of a second period. But um, I also really thought uh, Greener's adjustment, right, was a, a huge key in that game to make that adjustment as early as you could, putting that beagle line against Detroit's top scoring line. Because really, that's all kind of Detroit has at this point, you know. Um but that line is dangerous, man. Like, Well, Larkin's probably their best player, and yeah. allow him to just come in on a breakaway. Yeah. Pretty much that developed at the blue line. Well, yeah. I mean, the whole play started when Adler couldn't get the puck up the left wall, you know, and then it went back, and I think Mantha actually passed it to Larkin. Mm-hmm. And But, like, I mean, Bertuzzi, too, when he gets in front of the net, like, that that line is a bit of a piece of business. Yeah, Alex Adler, like, why was he pinching there at his own blue line? Like, ugh. It wasn't even the fact that he was pinching that got me. It was just like, and again, we probably rip on this guy a little too hard on this podcast, especially if after he had a whopper of a game. But, like, sometimes that no-look just dump up the wall. Like, he's done it before. He kind of did it last night on that play. And it's just like, just take that second or, like, microsecond to see where you're going to put the puck mm-hmm. in your own end. So that that play, after that, I was a little concerned, but... Canucks rebounded back. Thatcher was calm for the rest of the night, and that was a good win for them. Yeah. Did you ever think they were going to lose that game after they came back to tie it? No. 1-1. No. It, it just seemed like they had their foot on the gas even at, at 1-1. That Beagle line, which you just mentioned, was good all night. Tim Schaller, Tyler Mott, Jay Beagle, they did their job. Were you impressed? We, we were watching the game together, full disclosure. Yeah. And... At one point, we were like, this is the best game I think we've seen Tim Schaller play, even though he had a couple of those two-goal games against the well, Dallas the, Stars. Well, he had right? the one two-goal game against Dallas. He okay. only scored three all year. But he scored one against Dallas early That's right. in the year, and then he scored the two-goal game towards the end of last season. I can't give too much credit to Tim Schaller. There. Um, I thought it was by far Tim Schaller's best game in a Canucks uniform. Mm. And it's, and it's, I think it's momentum for him moving forward uh, to make that line a piece of business. Dude, like... We do not need Louie at all killing penalties if Schaller's killing penalties like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a, a massive, massive, like, help on that kill last night. Sutter was really good on the kill last night, too. Like, he he uh, made a lot of opportunities. And I really liked Stetcher in that first period. Like, granted that Jake Vertanen passed to Stetcher probably wasn't Vertanen's intent. But I think even before that in the game, I kept mentioning to you, I'm like, dude, Stetcher keeps jumping up in the rush here. Like, he... I think the the time he scored, that was the fourth time in that period where he jumped up into the play. And it's so nice to see this deactivate, right? Yeah, we got another, what, two goals from the back end? Yeah. In that game. Like, that's, yeah, it's really nice to see Alex Hedler doing his thing on the power play. And, yes, no, there was no way Jake Furtanen was trying to do that. That went through, like, three players <laughs> and right on the stick of Stetcher, who made no mistake, which was awesome. And you had said it before that. I have to give you some credit here that Stetcher can, was just jumping into the play on, like, every rush. Yeah. And it, uh, boom, it ended up in a goal, which was 
pretty darn awesome. Uh, we do have Travis Green talking right after the game about the Beagle line, which maybe was the best line for the Canucks all night. Man, they were good tonight. Uh, talked about it before the game, using them in a bit of a matchup role. And, uh, you know, it's funny. They score on the first shift, the other line, and we switched it right away, and they were good all night. They were played in the other team's zone a lot early, and there were thorns in the sides. Seeing different things from that line this year than what they brought last year. A little bit, uh, I think. You know, I think Motter's—he's still a young guy. He should be a better player this year than he was last year. Schalzi looks quicker, and they like playing together. They're—they're they're a hard line to play against when they play like that. I mean, still really early on, but I remember last year thinking that. <clears throat> oh, hold on a second. Really? <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Someone just like in our building, we have this uh, at reception. You can like page the entire building. And I guess someone at reception, not naming names, Mary, uh, pushed the button and fucked us over there. That was a nice, uh, was a nice fake out too. Yeah. I can't remember what I was trying to say. Oh, I was talking about Jay Beagle and the line. I thought Jay Beagle like last year to start the year was really good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened during the year, but he just became less and less effective as the season went on. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was kind of wondering if that was age too, just with like where he is now. But even last night, like he was skating at a good clip. And I mean, he is in that age range where a lot of uh, players' game starts to fall off. But hopefully that doesn't happen again this season. Well, then why do you sign him to like a three-year deal if that's the case? I didn't sign anybody, Art. But I agree with you. The um, I didn't. I, I remember. You, I was just saying. <laughs> I remember when he was signed. That was the one thing that I was kind of complaining about. Was like I like the signing. I just don't like the term. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, three years still isn't that bad. Uh, the decision to get Adam Gaudet out of the lineup to allow Tyler Mott back in there. What do you think about that? Do you think that was? Do you think that's based on Gaudet's? play or just you had to get someone in to get someone out? I think you got to get somebody in to get somebody out and go at like there's nothing wrong with resting the kid if uh you know Green wants more out of his game it'll probably motivate him to get back into the lineup so that move doesn't bother me too much where I did where I am a little concerned all season and I still am with pulling a guy like Godet out of that center on the third line and slotting Sutter in it's just like, where is that third-line offense going to come from? Is it going to come from anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Vertanen was able to craft a play somehow, but Sutter, we all know, he's not a playmaker. And, uh, you know, good to get five goals last night wasn't an issue, but you're going to want that firepower throughout the season, I think. Yeah. Uh, one thing that really pushed the game wide open for the Canucks was the power play. Yep. They were much maligned, I guess, going into this game, at least according to shorthouse in the broadcast but uh the canucks were able to get a few goals on the power play thanks to the combination really of jt miller and alex edler well <clears throat> alex edler was interviewed after the game and he thought he was kind of jokingly said i thought i was on pp2 right just with the way that people have kind of disrespected his position maybe um on that pp1 spot well, I still don't think he should be there, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, I, I like for even how much that power play, how good it looked last night. I think if you moved Hughes and Myers on that back end and kept Petey just down low in the circle, put Besser on the other side and put Miller in front of the net, that power play would be even better. Again, like we were watching the game last night together and there was one point where they're on a power play and Adler was skating out of his zone. And I'm just like, 
why are you skating so slowly? And it, it's still one of those things that gets me. It's, you know, like speed through the neutral zone. Speed through the neutral zone is one of the biggest things to get that thing set up. And I know they do the drop pass, but it, th- that's only Yeah, I heard you're a so real effective. big fan of the drop pass. That's only effective if everybody's moving and everybody can cross the blue line with some speed, right? So... I don't know. I would at still at some point like to see this power play change. But Edler, you know, you can't argue. He is making a case for himself to stay there. It's just, you know, if you had a left-handed D-man and a right-handed D-man at the point, they could really do a better job of working those passes quickly to your flanks. And if your flanks are, are PD and Besser, those guys can get one-timers off faster. And that's all I want to see, right? Because both those guys have the shots that, those guys are the guys who should be shooting on this power play, and I, I think Miller fits in perfectly. Well, yeah. I have no problem with what he's doing on this power play whatsoever. And this is something that, you know, last year we were preaching. We needed a net front guy who could do this sort of stuff, and, like, Miller to me is this guy. Uh, the Canucks were three for five on the power play uh, in, last, in, the, uh, red, in the win over the Red Wings. And Edler scoring the goal, the first one, right after we were, you should have seen us. We're watching this game and we're like, fuck this Edler guy on the power of the Well, 51. hold on. We weren't that bad, but we're like, we're like, don't shoot it. And then he shot it and he scored. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was some good chirping on Twitter, you know, like people were like, uh, who was it? Sadier? He yeah. was like, this guy's not leaving the power play one anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're like, well, yeah. Then he connected with Miller, and he was getting that shot through, which he usually doesn't get through, right? Yeah. So that's that was like the difference tonight that Edler was able to get that shot through. Well, I mean, if if people are defending the sides as hard as they were, if it's Bess, Besser and Petey and they're unable to get the shot off, Edler is the likely candidate to rip that shot. But again, if it's Hughes and Myers back there, I think both those guys – Maybe not Hughes, but I, I definitely think Myers has a better shot than Edler. And Hughes is just far more dynamic back there. So I'd like to see that at least um, attempted at some point this season. Newell Brown, to me, on this power play, the last two seasons hasn't really delivered. And I know it's a work in progress with the young guys, but still, like, I feel like I you're, being see a little, you're being a little really nice to Newell Brown. I think you should just come out and say what you want to say about Newell Brown. Well, I just want to see more out of this thing. Like, and, and we talked about that last week. Even though they had a good night, I want to see more out of it. And the, the Red Wings, they're not exactly world beaters, right? No. So this power play hasn't really still proven much to me until it goes up against a really good defensive team. Right. Uh, I think the biggest thing... On the road, too, perhaps, right? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for the offense was just, uh, let's get pucks on net, Right. That was the uh, that's the biggest thing, and JT Miller in front of the net is hundred uh, percent. Do you want to talk about your JT Miller crush right now, or do you want to save that for later? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think JT Miller is is my new Canuck crush for sure. Like he does everything well. That guy on the wall, man. Like he wins every puck battle. He's so good at retrieving the pucks for for Petey and and Besser, and uh, I think that line has some real real good chemistry and. I mean, I, I would try and keep that line together as much as I can. I also, Art, let's talk about this, too. I love the nickname. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. The nickname that came out on Twitter last night was sick. 
It was so good, and it was uh, who was the guy who 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 did it there? Are you going to give credit to Jacob? Jacob Calvert. Calvert. Yeah. I don't know who that is. So six Brock, obviously PD forty nine Miller, the six forty nine line or the Lotto line, Can BC Lotto you line. Imagine, right? That is an awesome <laughs> name for that line. I promise that's the only time I'll ever try and sing on this uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So six forty nine. Big ups to Jacob Calvert for uh, locking that one down because that's a great name. This line looks like it's starting to gain some footing. And, you know, obviously it helps with the power play if the power play gets through and they're getting apples on the power play. Yeah. Right? Because Besser had three points. Uh, Petey got a goal, which yeah. was really nice. His second of the year. That Driving was, the net. Yeah, that was Loved pretty it. sweet. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Myers taking that shot from the point. Uh, but I, I think that the Canucks offense is going to be sneaky good this year. It really is. And well, Miller, seven points in five games. He's doing everything you want him to do, yeah. right? A, a big part of that, too, though, is um, the Canucks de-scoring. They've scored in every game except the yeah. one where they've been shut out in. And that's what I mean by the offense being sneaky good because yeah. the, the defense is really helping it right now. They are on pace to absolutely smash their production from the D last season. Like, yeah. uh, hopefully they can keep it going. Again, like, this road trip's going to say a lot about this team moving forward here. They have two early morning games on um, Saturday and Sunday, and then they have the game um, against the Blues on on Thursday, tomorrow. So it's going to say something about this team and how well they can battle this. But, um, yeah, as of right now, I, I'm with you, Art. It, it, it has the potential to be sneaky good. And this kind of brings us to your crush. Like, I think this guy has really changed the way that that back end operates. Yeah, it's no secret that I think Quinn Hughes has been maybe the best Vancouver Canuck so far this year. <clears throat> like, every time that guy touches the puck, I think something good's going to happen. He showed it again last night. He's averaging, like, 19 minutes of ice time already Yeah, as a teenager, and he's, he's, he's awesome. And him on the back end, and I think him and, and Tyler Myers, really, they have given this team another dimension from – you know, being able to jump into the play and make plays, not just like be there as an option. Yeah. But once they get the puck, they can do something. And you you see that they've like they've given that back in like a new swagger, a newfound confidence, right? Like that goal that Quinn Hughes assisted on to Tanev, like not last game, but the game before, where all Tanev had to do was tap it in. Like that. Yeah. How often do you see Chris Tanev rushing the net? Stetcher was in the play four times. In the first period last game, like these, the the play of like Hughes and Myers is inspiring this D to kind of go for it a little more offensively, and I really really like it. So I agree with you there, Art. It's a it's a nice crush. Uh, going into the first couple of games, we were yelling about the bottom six. Yes, and how it was constructed. Yes. Uh, do you do you feel differently about it now after three games in? After three more games, Canucks have won three games three and one they've gone three and one since we've since we lamented about their the construction of their bottom six defensively i like what they're doing but i think you know if you keep that bottom line the way it is and add got got it to the center position on the third line you have more potential for offense right um put sutter on that wing leave him on that wing if you want him there you know he can play the wing even on beagle's line if you want uh uh two lines that can kill penalties and, and do that well. I think they still need to find a way to get more offense out of that third line. 
can you f- could you foresee Sven Berchi making his way back onto the roster and on that third line? I think I could, um, but somebody else is going to have to be an absolute dog, right, in order for him to get that it's chance. It's a long season. Yeah, it is a long <laughs> season. Or hurt, right? Injuries come. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the way hockey is. So I, I could see Sven Barchi coming back at some point. Well, speaking of dogs, we were speaking about this pretty much the entire game. Michael Furland does not look good out there. He was probably the worst Canuck last night. Would you agree with that? Yeah, easily. Yeah. And we, at least I noticed this when they were in training camp. He was dogging it during the training camp. Like, he was clearly not in game shape. Well, him and... We watched the bag skate with his group, right? Yeah. And him and Berchi were the two guys that stood out to me as the most tired guys in that entire bag skate. They were both hunched over having a rough go with it. Yeah. Right? Furlan looked like he was just, yeah, he was just in another world. He was hating life. And I think now he got sick, right? Yeah. Before the start of the season as well. And he just does not appear to be comfortable. Yeah. What are you, what are you seeing from him? No, I see the exact same thing. I'm just wondering how long that leash is. Yeah. You know, um, if I was Travis Green, I'd probably give him 10 games to really try and find it. I mean, we're at five now. We thought maybe that had happened in the game about, you know, I think there was a portion, some shift in the second period where Vertanen got onto that line. Yeah. But it was just a one-off. It was just a one-off, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I'm talking like sitting out. Actually you know, sitting I'm out. giving, yeah. I, I would give, if I was greener, I'd give him 10 games to find something, to find a spark, to find an offensive con- contribution, some consistency at least to what he's doing, because nothing right now that he's doing is consistent. But I'd give him, I'd give him a little bit of a leash to try and find that. Five more games, and then if he's not doing anything, yeah, throw somebody else in the lineup that, that wants to go. Especially when you guys got guys who, like, to me, Godet didn't have to sit out last game. So, I mean, who would you have put out? Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that to get Mott in. Mott did fine, but if there's a guy who's kind of goading it out there, like Furland was last night, yeah, you know, I could be like, "Hey, Godet, hop in next game, no problem." Furland, you're out, right. right? Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't bother me. But I, I, for a grace period for a guy who did have a bit of a rougher training camp, got sick, came back, and is trying to find his game. Like there was even that one play that he made last night. I think Shorty and and Cheech even mentioned they're like, "Yeah, he just looks like a guy who doesn't have any confidence right now." Right, he's played five games. He has five more to find his confidence, and then, yeah, maybe you sit him. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a less of a less a shorter leash on him than there was on Louis Erickson when he first came. Absolutely, in. right? Yeah. yeah, and and as there should be. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, anyways, I I just think it's very um, interesting to watch Furland here at the start of the year and how uncomfortable he has looked, and he has looked very uncomfortable. He took a penalty too, I believe, last yeah, he night, did. and he, yeah, I just uh, didn't like his game at all. He was probably the worst Canuck. Uh, what do you think about Thatcher Demko in that? Yeah, um, huge recovery after that first goal. Uh, his team kind of made it easy on him, though. At the same time, um, he stopped twenty six of twenty seven shots. Yeah, I mean, you're still in the NHL, and you're stopping twenty six out of twenty seven shots. That's a good performance by a goalie, and it's good for him to probably have that first game of the season come at home against a team like Detroit rather than on the road in that back-to-back when you're playing in the morning. Like, those games are 10 a.m., both of them, right? So um, and here, yeah, I'm happy for him. Yeah, and he's going to, you know, play against the Stanley Cup champions 
on Thursday. Yeah. Tomorrow. Here's Demko talking about getting the run support, so to speak, to use a baseball term. Yeah, it definitely helps. Um, you know, especially for me, you know, coming in um, under the circumstances of tonight, um, you know, having having the guys put up five definitely, you know, just gives me a little bit of a cushion, a little bit more confidence, and, you know, I can kind of kind of ride that and build off of that for myself. So um, huge credit to those guys. Uh, I thought that, uh, you know, he acquitted himself well on the th- five on three. I think that was one moment where you're like, oh, I could see the Red Wings scoring here, right? And he made himself big in net. I thought he looked big in net all night. Yeah, Maybe he, he didn't make a huge save here and there, but he made himself big. Man, that five-on-three penalty kill, holy smokes, too, right? Like, that PK was just outstanding there. Yeah, the Canucks penalty kill right now, is it's moving along at a really nice clip. It does not look... Like it needs Louis Erickson back there helping whatsoever, <laughs> does it? I mean, Schaller just, like uh, like I said earlier, I, I thought that was easily his best game as a Canuck. Well, the Canucks should be a good penalty-killing team, right? <laughs> yeah, they should. They have enough guys down there who should be able to figure that out for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, when you have all these guys that their specialty is penalty-killing, you would think. Yeah. And they've killed off, I think it's like 12 straight penalties. No well, they, they gave up one the game before. Right. Right? Yeah. That was the give, only goal the they've given up all season. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like, they've had, like, maybe 16 calls against them or something, and they're 15 for 16 or something. They're right at the top of the NHL. Yeah. It's like they're second in the NHL, I think, last looking at the NHL uh, standings. Yeah. There. And they're second in D scoring with the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's crazy. Insanity. That's crazy. Right? That is crazy. Um, Can they keep that up? Well, we said, too, like one of the big um, things that they're going to need this year is scoring from the D. So far, so good, right? Net front presence, crash and bang goals. So far, so good. Jim Benning went out and he addressed these issues. You can tell that he went out in the offseason and he addressed these issues the best he could. So far, it looks like it's paying off, right? Um, The only other thing that they need is to – stay healthy which is a huge ask from guys that have had the history right and uh yeah i like i like where this team looks like they should be going right now if that makes any sense you like where this team should be going right yeah. now i like how they i like <laughs> i like how they look like they That's look cryptic, like cryptic caleb they, yeah it is a little cryptic they look like they're they're doing all the right things to move them forward and and um, scoring is a big one. They've had two games that, you know, they've blown the doors off last night, 5-1, and then against the LA Kings in that 8-2 game. But, um, dude, if if this team, to me, if they can average th- over three goals a game, like, that that's playoffs, in my opinion. Thatcher Demko is going to get another start. Comfortable with that? Well, I, there's no there's no other... <laughs> choice really and yeah i mean he played well enough last night and his team played really good in front of him we'll see what happens in st louis but uh one thing is is that we all know is pd he uh he knows what jordan bennington's up to he's got him on a bit of a leash so the canucks now go on a bit of a uh road trip four games at st louis at new jersey at new york at detroit what do we want from this road trip to win at least half the games? Yeah, I think that's easily doable. Right. 
We we need our first road win. I'd love to see that first road win come against the former Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, if you can't win on the and road, I, I you're not a playoff totally team. Doable. So yeah. you think that's doable? Yeah. The Blues, uh, I think they're coming off a loss, so that would be interesting. If the Blues play tonight. And Bennington shake Trump's hand the other day, so, I mean, that's got to be a bit of a mm, curse, right? Yeah. I like how he shaked his hand, though, like Trump shakes people's hands. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Yeah, he kind of had, like, the limp wrist handshake in there. And I think he did it as a bit of a troll job, but I could be I could be wrong about Interesting. that. Interesting. That's yeah. a 5 p.m. Uh, 5 o'clock tomorrow. Pacific Standard Time yep. on Thursday, whenever you're listening to this fine podcast. And then two 10 a.m.ers back to back on Saturday, which and is very Sunday. difficult. So if you can get, if you, I see if you wouldn't win one of those games, and then five hundred on this yeah. road trip. Yeah, five hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is might be a bit of a tall order for a team who hasn't won the road yet. Dude, three straight wins though. Three straight wins, <laughs> all at home. Yeah, Things are a lot home. different. Things yeah, are so. different out in the out in the yonder there. Yeah. Yeah. So between the Stammers, obviously very happy coming off those three straight wins to be able to talk about this team after that. So. That's nice. Yeah, we might be singing a different tune next week. But uh. I think Carly Agro said last night that the Canucks said, or no, no, it was Caroline Cameron said that the Canucks had won three straight on six different occasions last year. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty nice. And it's kind of cool to hear some of these analysts talk in playoffs. I mean, Colby Armstrong mentioned it yesterday before the game even began. He's like, these guys look like they could do it. Yeah, sneaky good. Yeah, sneaky Sneaky good. good. Sneaky good. Yeah. Still very early. Oh, super early. Yeah, still. But I think what we've seen so far is JT Miller could play. We, can, we That's one of the biggest things that JT Miller and Quinn Hughes can play. Tyler Myers is playing well, too. Yeah. He's had the occasional gaffe, but he's playing a lot harder than most people gave him credit for. Yeah. Right? And PD and Brock are getting their games together. Yeah. Right? They're just moving along. Besser had three assists last night. PD had the goal and a couple assists. Yeah. I think... Uh, Miller can take some pressure off PD too here. Yeah. And and Brock. So that's Dude, pretty he's awesome. So good on the wall, man. I yeah. just like I love it. Yeah. On like two hundred foot game too. Like in his own end, he's good on the wall, winning battles and and in the offensive end too. I love it, man. What was the text message that you sent me uh about JT Miller? I think I told you I was drunk on him. That's right. Yeah. You're drunk on Miller. Yeah. <laughs> drunk on JT Miller. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm going to start drinking Miller beers, though. That's for sure. Okay. Good. I'm 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 good on the the beers. I used to drink a few of those back in my high school yeah, days. Yeah, back before like craft beer was a thing, and everyone was like, "Ooh, look at this exotic clear bottle." Yeah, it's not exotic. It's not that good it's either. It's not good, <laughs> Miller. Uh, but you know what? Now that we are talking about the old days, uh, interesting. Some interesting Canucks articles about the past kind of floated around the internet. One, I just happened to be. I don't know who it was on Twitter. Maybe Trevor Beggs on Twitter, I think, tweeted out about Nick Lindstrom talking about the Canucks on yeah. Split on Spit, Spit and, Chicklets, and Chicklets, yeah. Which, of course, is Barstool Sports podcast with Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonette, which is hilarious if you haven't checked it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess they had Nicholas Lindstrom on Spit and Chicklets, which is crazy. He's like the last person you'd consider to go on that show, right? I don't know, man. Like he's just Lindstrom's just like like such a stealth beauty. He's you know stealth, what I mean? all right. He's in like he's like he was probably in like one of the best shape out of anybody who's ever played the game. Yeah. Right? He does now talk about a guy who does the little things. Yeah. This guy not only does <laughs> the big things well, the incredible things well, 
But, like, Nicholas Lidstrom could make you look like a complete asshole if you're trying to dump the puck in on him. Like, he yeah. just had the hand-eye to, like, snipe those pucks down, turn the play around real quick. Like, guys were scared yeah. to try and dump the puck in on him. Like, the way he played other, other people's sticks was incredible. So, and it's ha- cool to get insight from a guy like this who is, like, in arguably, my opinion, one of the one of the greatest D-men of all time, if not the greatest D-man of yeah, all time. He's He's top he's three. He's in the conversation. 100% he's top three. Yeah. Probably top two. So an argument could be made. Um, but he was talking about the goal that he scored against the Canucks, the Dan Cloutier goal, which pretty much spelt the end. I don't know. I'm not, no, not the end. But it was... It was, was the like, end of that that playoff run. That well, it year. was yeah, it was the end of that playoff run. But it also kind of like at that moment you realized that you couldn't count on Dan Cloutier ever, ever. Fair was at that moment yeah. that you could you kind of realize that this. I think that's, that's when I started guy. calling him Cloutier like sarcastically because when it came down to clutch moments, he kind of farmed it all the time. So this was Game Three in Vancouver of that playoff. I think it was two thousand. Okay, two thousand and two. The Canucks had won both games in Detroit. Yeah, amazingly. Yeah. Like, I remember, I think it was Naslin that scored the overtime goal in game two. And I was thinking to myself, like, holy shit, they're going to fucking win this series. The Canucks are the eighth seed going against the number one seed. Yeah. Oh, I was a giddy little high school kid then. But sure enough, the wheel started to fall off the Canucks train because of the famous Nick Lindstrom goal from center ice. Which he said he did purposefully. He was trying, no, not purposefully. He said in the, if you read, if you read his quotes, he was looking to get a rebound. Yeah. Or he was looking to shoot the puck at, uh, at the inboards and have it bounce up because someone had jumped Hall. off the bench. It was Brett yeah, Hall. Brett Hall yeah. jumped off the bench. And just, you know, and it was just another insight to like one of the greatest players of all time, just yeah. how he thought when, you know, every, all the purpose. That's that what I mean, though. Play. Like, he yeah. was looking for a juicer off of yeah. Cluche, and he yeah. shot it at him yeah. and he was for that specific purpose, and yeah. then, of course, it goes in. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's crazy. It is crazy. And he was talking, he also talked to Spit and Chicklets about how, like Drew Doughty, he, they weren't going to lose to this team at that moment. <laughs> and how Steve, this was the famous series where Steve Eiserman was like on one leg. Yeah. This is like Steve Eiserman in this playoff run was like a half cyborg at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He was a half cyborg. And He's my favorite player ever, he, by the way. He just clutched up so much and just willed his team. Yeah. Even though his team is like, you know, this is the Red Wings we're talking about, one of the greatest teams of all time with some of those names on that team. <sighs> Man, yeah. That that guy, though, like he's just – like even looking at him yesterday up in the up in the box for Detroit – as he gazed down as a GM <laughs> upon like his team and his his the beginning of his creation, what a beautiful man! Yeah, Kirby wanted to open mouth kiss him. <laughs> he was saying, I just, "Look at that guy!" I like, I just love Steve Eiserman, man. Like he, not only because he's like he is who he is, but man, like how how clutch was that guy? How much of a warrior was that guy? To even like rally a team in a room when you're down two nothing and being like, "Look, we're the president's trophy team. Like, we're not this bad." Steve Eiserman isn't known for speeches. If you heard his Hall of Fame induction speech, horrible. Not I good. will say, I he sounded I, nervous and everything else. But uh, like, he's not a well-spoken guy. Like I remember, remember when he had that really controversial uh, 
press conference when he decided to leave the best player on his own team off of Team Canada. Yeah. And he was trying to explain why, and he was just digging himself a hole. <laughs> digging himself a hole. Yeah, but anyway, I just remember But, that. like, I mean, as a leader, there's, in my opinion, there's no better leader. Yeah. Oh. And he had a quote, I guess, from, from, from Nick Lindstrom was like, yeah, uh, Steve Eisenman, like, looked at us and we're like, we're not going to fucking lose to this team. And yeah. he, that was this quote. Fuck. That sucked. And, okay, so let's, and the reason why we really wanted to talk about this was because that error in Canucks hockey, like, how good was that Canucks team? How exciting was that Canucks team? The West Coast Express era, I guess that's kind of what we we look at it as. Yeah, I kind of feel like this is a little overlooked in Canucks history. I mean, like, a, a lot of us, too, because it is the 50th season, are kind of going back in time and really thinking about, like, our favorite Canucks moments and everything else. And, you know, people always bring up, like, the run in 94, the magical run. And, like, I'm not discounting that run at all and that team. I love that team. But going back to, like, the West Coast Express, like, simply, like, how skilled that team was. Like, top three in scoring that top line, like, a couple years between Nazi and Burt. Like, they were always, like, one and two or two and three. Um, you know, on the back end, having guys like Olin, Jovanovski, um, just like all around, like a pretty damn solid team at a time where the West was like the biggest arms race in the league by country mile, you know, with Colorado being there, Detroit being there, Dallas was Dallas good. being there, like just insanity. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for this team. I, I love them. I hate the way it ended. And I think that's kind of a black eye on, on, on the West coast express legacy. But, like, you have to know with the way that Burke came out in the Canucks season opener at home, mm-hmm. like, people still have so much adulation for that, for this team, because, like, the pop he got was crazy, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, it's just one of those things I don't want to forget and, and I think should be celebrated just as much as, you know, the Canuck 2011 run and also uh, the 94 run. Like, there was a couple times where especially that year in 05 where, like, they looked like they were going to do it, you know? They, on paper, they were one of the better teams. I'm going to sound controversial in saying this a little bit, but for me, that team disappointed me more than any other era in Canuck history because when I look back at 94, that was a surprise. Also, I was very young, yeah, and that was a surprise that that team made it to the final and battled tooth and nail to the very end as an underdog pretty much, right? And then, and in 2011... I'd already been disappointed so much by that West Coast Express team. I just, I'm not saying it made it, it, well, yeah, I'm saying that. It made it easier to swallow 2011. That 2011 run? Yeah, because I was kind of accustomed to the Canucks blowing it. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. And that's, that's why I say it sounds controversial. I don't know if I agree with that take on the 2011 piece, but I will agree with you on the fact that no Canuck team disappointed me more than that Naslin, Bertuzzi, Morris, and Jovanovski, Olin era of the Canucks. But they are also, in my opinion, against the hardest competition they probably ever faced. Yeah. And, it, you know, it wasn't the 2 year that really ticked me off. It was 3 against the Wild when they beat the Blues and then got to the second round against the Wild, where I, I thought easily they would handle the Wild. And for some reason, guys like Wes Walls and Andrew Brunette and stuff like T- took this team out, and and a the big Canucks, part of that, I the think, Canucks had gone up three one in that series, yeah. guys. And Todd Bertuzzi went past the Minnesota Wild bench famously, 
and did a little with his with his gloves, yeah, right? Yeah, dusted off his mitts. Dusted off his mitts and was yeah. like, that's it. We're done with you guys. And then lo and behold, they went and won three straight against the Canucks and won that series. And that was like, that was, for me, I remember going back and looking at it and thinking, this is the best opportunity that Canuck, that team could ever have to go to the finals and win. Yeah. Because Detroit had already been knocked off. Yeah. Right? It just goes to show you, though, man, like how important a goalie can be in the playoffs, like we saw last year with Bennington and then back in 03, like Nicholas Backstrom for the Wild stood on his head, yeah. right? That was one of the things. I hated that team, too, because Jacques Lemaire, the style of hockey they played was just boring, bullshit, trap hockey, you know? And I I'm a, I'm a, I was with Bertuzzi. I thought we dusted him. Yeah. And, and lo and behold, they come back and they take us down. And that was the other thing about that team is they always went up in the series and then something would happen and they'd lose. Yeah. Right? Yeah, always something would happen. So, I mean, for us, for all the stuff that we're saying, let's remember this team fondly, let's love them, and now we're talking about them, we're getting all pissed off. I Maybe know. that says something about that team in that era, but, uh, like, I, I did. I loved that team. Horrible jerseys, but great team. Yeah. Great team. They were exciting. Uh, a lot of passion. Yeah, and they showed even last night, we, were, we got thinking about it again because Bertuzzi was the last player to score a hat trick against the Red Wings, and yeah. we saw some of those... Some of those plays he made to score those. Dude, the backhand he had was just sick, hey? Oh, man. In tight, top ched. Oh. Uh, I know. What a player. I know. Just so big with such nice hands. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I think, you know, yeah, that that air was just marred in disappointment. And that's that's why I think it's tough to look back at that era. We want to kind of forget that era. But, again, that's also our age group. Like, we remember that. We'll always remember that because we're also – I don't know if we were star-eyed a little bit at well, that point like in our lives. Well, we young adolescent yeah. teenagers, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. Um, also, I, I liked how tough that team was. Yeah. You know, Jovanovski, Deadmarsh fights. Like, Jovanovski would tune them up, like, every time. Yeah. Uh, Brashear, who's had an interesting story come out about him today. Like, yeah, okay. that guy was a crazy enforcer in that period. He was the toughest guy in the NHL. That's right. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, those are some other reasons why I looked at that team. Fondly. Yeah, and did I, I mean, everybody said Brian Burke's biggest, his biggest folly during that era was not, a, he was unable to get a goaltender that could win it for them. Absolutely. Yeah. That Even was, though Kluche had like three 30-win seasons. I know. Which is a testament to how good that team is as well. Yeah. I have some friends who stick up for Kluche. But I, I just, I, it's it's really hard to. Really, really hard to. <laughs> Yeah. Especially when you go back and you revisit that Winstrom goal. God damn. That was the that was the toughest goal he ever let in. Yeah. I'm sure he'd probably even say that, right? I think, yeah. I would love to hear him on a podcast to talk about that time in Canuck history. Yeah. We'd love to have him on Between the Stammers. <laughs> Dan Cloutier, if you're listening. After I ripped them for shit in the bed. <laughs> I'd be a lot nicer <laughs> to him in person. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Uh, but, hey, you mentioned Donald Brashear. This yeah. crazy story out in Quebec. Yeah. Yeah. Quebec City. So what happened? Well, apparently Donald Brashear is working out of Tim Hortons in Quebec City because uh, he's a little more down on his luck these days. Um, it's owned by another former NHLer, Pierre Sevigny. I don't speak French, so if I butchered that, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, he said he hired Brashear to help him out. Uh, Brashear just started there, but he's getting recognized by a lot of people in Quebec because obviously not only was he a great Canuck, for the time that we had him, 
the Montreal Canadiens fans really started liking him too. So a lot of people had recognized him at the drive-through, handing out orders and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean Brashear. Apparently, he's been in a little bit of legal tr- trouble, you know, in the last bit. He had to pay quite a bit of money for uh, just legal fees and everything because he's faced charges of mischief and drug possession and stuff. And this is the kind of story I don't like to see about a guy who was in the NHL and kind of lost it all. I mean, I think a lot of us have seen that ESPN documentary, Broke, where, you know, guys, they get the millions of dollars. They play a great career, and then after that happens – you know, where does the athlete go? It's kind of all they know from, from adolescence growing up. And I, I, I hope Brashear, you know, rebounds back from this and and uh, has a happy ending to a pretty good career because, like I said, he was one of the the toughest guys in the NHL. He played over a 1,000 games. He was beloved by, by two pretty big Canadian fan bases. And, uh, you know, I think he's most famous for the, the fighting and then the McSorley thing that happened while he was wearing a... Where he got sticked in the head. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. also tough seeing a guy who fought his entire career and probably took some serious knocks to the noggin, uh, whether that was the McSorley slash, which is ugly. If you've never seen it, Google it. It's horrible. And and a bunch of fists to the face and, and see them kind of down on their luck after, you know, putting their body on the line and especially putting that part of the body on the line, your brain, you know, getting rattled around with fists back to your head. Like, now, that's, are we going to add him to the list of NHL enforcers that have had a tough post-career, right? Like, that. Like, and I don't want, and of course, there's been a lot of talk over the last 10 years about, you know, brain injuries and, like, connection to, you know, playing a tough sport like hockey and what it does to some of these enforcers afterwards. Now, I'm not saying this has anything to do with Donald Brashear and his legal problems and his money problems and everything like that, but it's hard not to kind of look at it through a bit of a lens like that. I think it's just hard to see any kind of meat and potatoes player, you know, that wasn't put out in a role just to score goals and be flashy and do all that sort of stuff. A guy who does a lot of heavy lifting for a team that kind of goes under unappreciated by some uh, members of of a fan base um, face hard times after they've ended their career. Yeah, I th- I really think that's what it is, and uh, I hope Rashier gets better, and I hope this helps him out, and and uh, yeah, like he to me he was a big part of the Canucks for years. Yeah, right. Forty seven years old now. Yeah, forty seven years old, and he had a good career, like nineteen ninety three to two thousand nine. You know, sixteen year career, man, in the show over a thousand games. Right, he wasn't a fly-by-night guy. Like this guy stuck around, so it is kind of an interesting story. And so I, I guess the I, franchise, he's, this, he's this, better. yeah, this Tim Hortons is actually owned by a former NHL player. Yeah, Pierre Sevenay. Um, Art doesn't speak French either. Sevenay, don't hold it against him. Anyway, he's just an employee. That's all he said, and he was helping him out. Yeah. so that's cool. So hopefully, it's not as bad as it looks from the outside. Uh, this isn't as bad, obviously, as. Uh, former NHL, I guess, first overall pick. I don't know if you heard this story, but Joe Murphy, like, living yeah. on the streets. Yeah. The mental health. Like, that's a really, really sad and interesting story, if you haven't checked it out. I have. Yeah, just go, just Google Joe Murphy living on the streets. Crazy. Crazy yeah. stuff. Guy, like, here's a guy who's, like, and refusing he help, skill. too. Like, yeah. that guy had skill when he was playing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very interesting story as well. So I think a lot of times, too, like these athletes, man, like you're at the top of your game. You've made the show. Like it's such a hard thing to do. And Transition. you do have that that confidence, and you probably do have a little bit of ego. And, 
And then when people are trying to offer you help, sometimes maybe you do not want it. Yeah. You know, but uh, good on Brashear for for doing this and you know trying to get back on track. Um, you know, I hope it I hope it works out well for him. Yeah, he's a part of Canucks history. Yeah, he definitely, he really is. And yeah, he he scored some goals in the NHL too. He had eighty five goals, right? So yeah. yeah, he was he was he could skate too. I yeah. liked him. I, yeah, he was a likable guy. He was a great Canuck. Yeah, and I love the way he fought too. He's yeah. a southpaw. Right, so yeah. he does fool a lot of guys, and I liked when he started his fights. He kind of he limped his wrists a little bit and looked mm-hmm. like, kind of you know really tried to trick the guys with how he was going to throw them. Yeah, and it worked for him because he won a lot of fights. So there we go. We went into the Canucks uh, three game winning streak. We uh, talked about JT Miller, uh, Caleb Kirby's new man crush, uh, and we went into memory back into. Back into time there. Took a stroll down memory lane? We did, yeah. 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 So that was nice. Uh, Dan Cuche, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's about it. That's all I had. The Canucks have a four-game road trip. Yeah. Ahead here. Hopefully they can win half those games. That's our hope. That's between the Stammers' hope that they win half those games. I think that's... If they do that, they're in better shape than a lot of people might. I, I, I would like to see them win all four, obviously. But uh, I think if obviously. they win two, that's not bad. Yeah. All right. Caleb Kirby, where can we find you? You can find me at Kirbman23. Um, Art Aronson, where can we find you? At Art Aronson on all social medias. Uh, you can find Between the Stammers on Twitter at Between the S. Art's yep. shaking his head. He still hates it. <laughs> I don't know. I th- it's It's been fine, right? It's fine. Uh, and you can also email us, right, Kirby? Yeah, at uh, Between the Stammers at gmail.com. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening.